you know, typically everybody has a different way of delivering a detox. I think it's really important to go with what agrees with you. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and I am bringing back a guest that you just heard from in episode 55. Why? Because Magdalena Shalaki, she and I were talking about hormonal balance, about digestive issues, and we went on a deep dive into candida, into gut health. And I promised you in that episode number 55 that I would bring Magdalena back on the air to talk about the liver. And here she is, guys. Welcome back, Magdalena. Hey, thanks, Ella. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, this is fun. I mean, this is it, it was so cool that we got to deep dive into those other issues and then just uh, schedule a part two. So I really appreciate you doing that. So Magdalena, I know that you specialize in helping people achieve hormonal balance and overall health and wellness. But when we talk about hormonal balance, and let me just go ahead and say right now, we are talking about men and women 100% today. So stick around. But Magdalena, when we talk about hormonal balance, we don't often hear about the liver, do we? No, not at all. In fact, you know, when I was diagnosed with estrogen dominance, um, it was a real shocker to me when I started doing research. And even the doctor who diagnosed me didn't tell me to really start looking into into the liver. So yeah, it's a it's a very overlooked and I think partly just really a quite um, a missed piece of rebalancing our hormones by most practitioners. Well, let's talk first about what the liver does, because, you know, some of us, we need a little refresher. So what what is the purpose of the liver in the first place? Well, a lot of things. I mean, you know, it's you can talk about over 200 different vital functions that um, it, the liver plays in our body. Of course, everybody knows it as, as a detoxification organ, and that is very true. But it's not just detoxification from alcohol or coffee, but also from anything from bacteria, from yeast, from, you know, pesticides that we are, we are putting in our body through food. Um, so, but also, you know, the liver helps us with protein synthesis. Um, it excretes what's called bilirubin, which is um, what helps us to break down fats. So people, for example, who have a lot of problems digesting fats, they feel like food is sitting there forever. That could be a function of the liver. Interestingly, the liver also takes care of cholesterol. So, you know, especially uh, I'm, I'm here, I'm talking about taking care of the bad cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, and how well it's going to be processed and metabolized is going to depend also on the function of your liver. So, you know, here on one hand, we are obsessing about eating low-fat diets, uh, which, by the way, fat is not what causes high cholesterol. It's carbohydrates, processed carbohydrates, alcohol um, are the main culprits. And, and um, it's really the, the function of the liver to, to help us with breaking that down as well. So the liver breaks down carbohydrates, takes care of sugar metabolism as well. Yeah, so there's just a lot of stuff going on, you know. But when it comes to the hormones, it's um, it really is the different pathways in the liver will help us basically metabolize and get rid of the used hormones. 
Wow. Okay. That is a lot. So a lot of us have heard that the liver serves a detoxification role in our bodies, but I'm not sure that everybody is totally aware of just how large that role is. So you've mentioned a couple of things. You've mentioned purifying our blood. I know that it can assist in regulating the metabolism through bile production. Um, yeah. You said storing minerals and fat soluble vitamins, protein synthesis, glycogen glycogen storage, excuse me, and conversion of, I guess, food intake into energy. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. But it also helps with cholesterol production as well. This I did not know. And by the way, Magdalena, it's probably worth saying that we have been convinced, at least in Western medicine, that cholesterol is evil, but cholesterol is actually entirely necessary, right? Can you maybe touch on that just a bit? Yeah, sure. So um, the HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, that's the one that you really want to have in upper numbers because that's your precursor for all your sex hormones, so your steroid hormones, right? So everything from progesterone, estrogens, testosterone, DHEA, cortisol get produced from um, cholesterol, from the HDL cholesterol. And, you know, if you think about it, marathon runners, for instance, women who are marathon runners oftentimes do not have their periods for extended periods of time. And it's not because of the, the running, you know, it's because of um, how little fat they have and how little fat there is sometimes in their diet. And that's the low HDL is, it can be a, a reason why our sex hormones then start tanking. And, you know, it's pretty simple to really to take care of it. I mean, one of the big things is just incorporating good fats in your diet, you know, and so I like to see between three to four tablespoons of fats for people who are low on HDL, three to four tablespoons of fats, a combination of, you know, of uh, whether it's ghee or butter, if you can do, if you can tolerate dairy, you know, or avocado, olive oil. So a combination of not just a lot of people think that, you know, fat will just be olive oil and that's a monounsaturated um, kind of a fat which is okay but we want to have a combination of different fats and I actually do like to see some amount of saturated fats not too much but you know whether it's coming from ghee whether it's coming from lard I think a tablespoon a day especially on cold months um, that really gives us a lot of warmth and energy so and it helps with HDL as well. Okay so let me make sure I understand this when we're looking at our cholesterol we want to make sure we don't have low HDL. And one of the ways to maintain healthy levels of HDL is by consuming healthy fats. Have I got that right? Correct. So the liver is enormously important. I mean, I know there are some organs we can actually live without. The liver would definitely not be one of them. It must take an enormous amount of abuse if it's got all of these roles to play. Yeah, sure. You know, so it's like the best way to think about it, it's like a sieve. Right. So if you are, you know, doing stuff in a kitchen and you're putting through things through a sieve and you don't clear it, uh, then, you know, it's going to get clogged up pretty quickly. Right. So the question is how much of stuff you're putting through and what is the kind of things you're doing to support your liver to help dump those toxins more effectively. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a two-throng approach for sure. Okay. So let's talk about where some of this toxicity comes from. 
It's definitely can be both from internal and external um, sources, right? So I should say maybe from food and from um, external sources like just pollution or the skincare products we're using. You know, a big part of people having a liver problem is really coming from consumption of really, really bad quality fats. That's a huge one. I'm talking here about all the hydrogenated oils. And so whenever you, you know, you go out and eat, unfortunately, even in, in organic restaurants, they do use poor quality oils like corn oil, soy, soy oil. And to for these oils to be stable, they need to be hydrogenated. And the process of hydrogenation, hydrogenation causes a lot of inflammation in the body and that impacts the liver in a huge way. So I think that's a, that's a huge one. Let's talk about that one for just a minute because this is absolutely huge. So one of the reasons why focusing on organic food is considered by some an expensive indulgence and considered by others, you know, really key, especially when you're talking about the dirty dozen, is because those pesticides, as you consume, them, they build up, don't they? They have a cumulative effect in the body and it's the liver's job to move those through. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah. And so they, they get deposited a lot of the time in the fat tissue in the body, but because the liver, you know, can, I mean, the liver is going to try to get rid of them and not be let it, let them sit in the liver itself. So when you, when you're talking about, for example, pesticides, you know, there's a big, I think EWG did a study when they studied the fat of obese women. Um, they, they picked up, you know, however, a number of different chemical compounds, um, including a lot of pesticides in the body, in the fat cells of, of the woman. So it's basically the liver, you know, the liver needs to do something with the toxins, right? And fat cells are one of the most benign ways of depositing toxins. And so that's the story is that a lot of people who have a lot of body fat is, it can be because of, of a high level of toxicity in a person. And the EWG is the Environmental Working Group, guys, and we've mentioned okay. that before. Okay, so let's loop this back to some of the bad oils because... Honestly, there are just a few things that I am completely, absolutely opposed to. Most of the time, I'm like, you know, you need to pay attention to what your body says. You need to pay attention to what works for you. But I'm going to flat out say that these hydrogenated oils, they are just absolutely horrible for you. They have zero redeeming qualities, except that they are shelf stable. Yippee. And guess what? They're shelf stable in your body because that's where they're hanging out still. So let's talk about these oils. You made a good point. You're talking about not real oils, not healthy oils like avocado oil and clean olive oils and coconut oils and all of those. But you're talking about the soy oil, the corn oil, the safflower oil, canola oil, which is is horrible. My, my favorite one to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and here is the deal. I just came back from Boulder. It's just amazing food scene. And they, you know, make it a point to declare that we do not use any hydrogenated oils in our cooking. I mean, they actually put that on a menu. And sometimes it would even say what kind of oils they're using, like, you know, duck fat and uh, lard or olive oil or whatever. And so, yeah, so, you know, in, in New York, I had this problem, and this is not just a New York problem, this is, I'm sure, a nationwide issue, where you go to a vegan restaurant, even, or vegetarian restaurant, and then you ask them what oils they're using, and they go like, well, you know, we're using corn oil, or we're using sunflower oil, and restaurants, especially in big cities, need to make a profit, right? And 
you know, oil is a big part of every meal that you're preparing for a customer. And it's going to be an expensive affair to be cooking with good quality olive oil. You know, it's, I mean, it's a fraction of a cost you can get corn oil from. And consumers are not going to, most people don't ask the question, right? So so it's, it's coming from, I guess, from the point that, you know, the food is organic, but then the oils are not. And, and, and I mean, I'm talking just organic restaurants, but I mean, you know, if you're talking about just regularly eating out, rest assured that the oils that are used in the food is are going to be the worst oils, the cheapest oils that can possibly find. True story. And even even when they're putting a focus on the food quality, as you're saying, so many of them use the cheaper and longer lasting shelf stable oils that are um, hydrogenated or just processed beyond measure. Yeah. And moving, you know, beyond oils, I mean, the other things that I, I see with a lot of people that really puts a lot of strain on our liver is consumption of just the the amount of coffee we consume in this country you know it is i mean we are in a caffeinated a constantly caffeinated state and that unfortunately puts a big uh, pressure on on our on definitely on our liver you know another interesting thing is food intolerances actually where we struggle with digesting food believe it or not the um, that actually puts a big strain on the liver as well so undigested oh. food yeah so one of the you know i know you're going to you want to talk about solutions for for the liver one of the big problems and the solution to, you know, having a liver problem or to really detox your liver and support your liver through the process is to ensure that you have sufficient stomach acid. You know, it is quite amazing how many people have a low stomach acid. And and you would know this if you, you know, if you have a, a tablespoon or two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar or lemon in a glass of water before a meal and you feel way, way better, you, you feel like your digestion is moving, then that is a sign that your stomach acid is low. And and I tell you, probably about 70% of people, of women I work with, have a low stomach acid. And when we have a low stomach acid, the food doesn't get broken down properly because stomach acid also stimulates enzymatic production. And the enzymes is what, you know, chomps the food down, breaks the food down chemically. Um, so to support the liver, one of the best things we can do is to ensure we're drinking some apple cider vinegar or lemon or lime before a meal. And that really helps with the digestion. And that way, there's going to be less pressure on the liver. Okay, I definitely want to get into more fixes. And I will share um, in the show notes, by the way, what I take sometimes the digestive enzymes that I take, but I want to continue first with explaining where some of the sources of toxins come from, because I really don't think people understand necessarily as much as we could how much the things in our own homes are affecting the health of our liver. So if I can throw a couple more out there and just get your comment, that would be great. So I think some people might be surprised to know that things that they're using in the kitchen, like plastics or their nonstick pans, like mm-hmm. the Teflon stuff, I think some people might still be surprised to know how detrimental that is to their liver health. I don't know if you have any additional comment there. No, I mean, you know, any of the chemicals, right, whether it's uh, the PFOAs or whether it's fluoride or chlorine from water or phthalates from skincare products. I mean, all these chemicals, they need to be processed in some way or another, right? So I wouldn't single out like cookingware, cookware alone, but it's just anything that's got chemicals in it, you know, will definitely be putting that additional pressure. Magdalena, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it's useful for people to understand all of the different sources because it's not just, oh, I use that lipstick. Oh, I use that Teflon pan. It's that when you look at the whole picture of your life and 
when you think about the chemicals that your body has to process, it changes the way you think about your body a little bit. When you're like, okay, my body's dealing with the air pollution. My body's dealing with the chemicals that are in our water. My body's got to metabolize the BPA, the triclosan, the parabens that are in my shampoo. My body's got to deal with the household cleaning products that I'm using at home and that are used in my office. By the way, if I'm taking any medicine, that's being filtered through my liver. And then if I'm cooking on Teflon, that's being filtered through my liver. And it's, it sounds overwhelming, but the truth is I actually think it's useful when you realize all of the things that your body has to do so that you can help your body do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how to do it. Cause you started very much in the route that I know everybody wants to hear about. And that is like, okay, so what do we do about it? Like, how do we help support our liver? And I love the metaphor that you use that, that it's a sieve and, and it can get backed up. And so then nothing passes through quite as efficiently as it should. How do we clean it out? Right. You know, there's a lot of things we can talk about and, and depending on the listener is, it can be either very overwhelming or, or for some people who've been doing this for a long time, they'll be like, okay, well, you know, that's great. So that's another point for me to incorporate into my life. So I want to just say, if somebody is just starting out on this journey, then everything that you hear today or the article that you read that um, Ella is going to post at the, and then show notes, you know, create like mini projects for yourself. Like for example, you may say, say, you know, for the month, for the next month, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do like one little project that's called finding another skincare product, right? That doesn't have all that crap in it. And I'm going to hit up an environmental working group and I'm going to look at safe brands and that's it. That the whole month is just going to be about my skincare and I'm not going to touch my, nothing, right? I'm not going to touch my lotion and things like that. Right. And then the next month, move on to something different. Like get rid of all the plastic, stop microwaving, especially plastic, right. And, and warming out foods in plastic wares, just one of the worst things. So Things like that, right? And that's, I think, where um, where it could be a good starting point. With liver support, it's not just about removing things. It's about adding certain good habits and certain good foods that really support the liver. And should we talk about those? Yeah, that would be great. Okay. So anything that's got anything that's bitter, it creates, it provokes bile production. And bile helps us with flushing out of toxins, including hormones, believe it or not. Okay, so bitter flavors, bitter tastes help with bile production? Bile excretion. Excretion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that move helps to move the toxins out. So the bitters I'm talking about here would be things like radishes, dandelion, could be dandelion leaves or dandelion uh, roots, uh, mustard greens, you know, anything that's, um, so mustard greens or like things like arugula, um, anything that's got that bitter taste to it, okay. right? It's, it's just really wonderful to be incorporating one or two servings a day at least. And, you know, dandelion is kind of, um, most people are not very familiar with it. Two ways I really like to use dandelion that's kind of easy. One is uh, to prepare a dandelion salad together with like oranges and use dandelion leaf chopped up. Add some more, more, let's, you know, not as bitter of a greens like arugula or just lettuce if you, if you like lettuce. In, in using the sweetness of the oranges, you're really masking that dandelion, but that's a really wonderful salad like if we are in spring. Another way that I like use the dandelion is dandelion root. As a tea, it's a really wonderful way of ending a day when you have that as a digestive, say after dinner, before going to bed. 
So dandelion is a really powerful herb that's been used in Western herbalism for for many, many years. Um, and that's a really great one. And then, you know, with with salads, pick rather things like arugula, mustard greens, rather than be doing, you know, the regular lettuce for spinach, which don't, which don't have these kind of properties. Okay, so I actually started incorporating dandelion tea into my week. I don't have it every day. And I started juicing with dandelion. As long as I use another milder green, it's not, it's not so powerful. Yeah, that's a, not a great one. Yeah, you're right. That juicing, exactly. And just hiding it, overlaying it with other vegetables or fruits, that's a great way of also consuming it on a daily basis. Well, if we, if we had more time, I'd tell you about the time I juiced with mustard greens and about blew my sinuses out. I do not recommend juicing mustard greens. <laughs> that's that's for free. That's for free. Okay. And what's so funny is I feel so dumb when I go to Whole Foods and I buy a bunch of dandelion because I'm like, this is in my backyard. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know, the stuff in your backyard is actually more potent. It's much more bitter. It's much more nutritionally, it's much more dense than the stuff that's grow that you buy. But either way, it's, it's a great it's a great purchase and since you're talking about juicing another really great one to support the liver is adding parsley so parsley will be in that category of oh, bits yeah. as well and one more thing um, lemon including the peel itself the lemon peel consists um, contains something called limonene which is an activator for the methylation pathway and and that's a really great one so instead of throwing away the peel make sure you either you use it, you know, not too much, but like from half a lemon in a big bowl of salad is actually great. Adding that to your dressing, to your salad, um, or just juicing it so you're juicing it with the skin on. Okay, good. Good tip. Yeah. Okay, so you say bitter helps with bile excretion, and you've given us dandelion, mustard greens, arugula, etc. What other things can we add to our pantry or to our kitchen? Okay, so another favorite that has got multiple purposes, especially for hormonal rebalancing, and that includes liver, are a regular consumption of two to three cups of cruciferous vegetables. So cruciferous vegetables will be will include things like broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, flour, bok choy, uh, some of them. And the great thing about them is that for two reasons, they help the liver. Number one is they contain sulfur. And, you know, we didn't talk so much about the biochemistry of liver detoxification, but let me just briefly mention that the first phase of the detoxification is when the toxins get broken down and they actually become more toxic than before they enter the body. Okay, is this, I'm sorry to interject, I just want to make sure we know what you're talking about. So you're talking about what I hear of sometimes as phase one and phase two of liver detoxification. Is that right? That's right. Okay, I would love for you to explain those at a high level because they're totally relevant to which which supplements, which foods help, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have phase one and phase two detoxification in, in the process of the way the liver works. And so phase one is the first part where there is a specific enzyme called the cytochrome P450 that breaks down the uh, the toxins. And interestingly, after that phase, the toxins are actually more toxic and harmful to us than, than before they entered the body. And then now in order to neutralize these toxins, there's a whole bunch of compounds that are needed in order to marry them off. It's literally, they get attached to a number of different compounds, such as sulfur or methyls. 
and then they're gonna get evacuated when they you know when they couple up they literally like a couple like you know you know like somebody getting married right they marry off each other with each other and then they're gonna get evacuated uh, with the help of the bile out of the body and we basically poop out our toxin that includes our hormones and so the importance of that phase two detoxification is to provide our body with sufficient number of compounds um, in order to, you know, to marry right those toxins and evacuate them. And one of the big ones, um, there's seven, six detoxification pathways. And the ones that we talk a lot about and that are really important for the hormones is the first one is the methylation pathway, and it takes care of things like estrogen, dopamine, histamine, heavy metals. So the compounds, the act, we call it activators. That you know, those activators are those marrying the candidates, right? Our number one is anything that contains high levels of vitamin B is gonna be really, really important. And you know, like in the Weston A. Price Foundation, there is there's always a saying that depending on which body part you want to support then just look at the animal and eat that very same organ or, you know, part of that animal that you want to support yourself in. You are kidding me. No, I'm not. I mean, the Western Price Foundation does that. I mean, if you think about, like, for example, people having, you know, having a problem with, with thyroid, right? It's, uh, you know, one of the thyroid medications, so it's a hormone replacement therapy. It's made out of dehydrated pig's hormone glands. So, I mean, that's, and that's, that's called armor and that's, you know, that's widely available nationwide and a lot of people are on it. On the same note, for, for people who are serious about doing some work on the liver, actually eating a liver of an animal is, is super, super beneficial. And guess what? Livers are, is the highest source of vitamin Bs compared to any other uh, animal protein. Yeah, and we've gotten away from eating organ meats, I know, sort of culturally speaking, at least in the US. Still in the UK, it's still a big part of their diet, I can say that. And I don't really know about some of the other major areas like Australia and that sort of thing. I can tell you in the US, we're, we've gotten away from it. And the paleo movement is helping redirect people back to eating organ meats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you go to France, you know, whenever people go to France and they rave about their whole culinary experience, a big part of that experience is actually from the magnificent pâtés that are always served as the starter of any of most meals in France. And anyway, so you know, livers. I know it's not easy for most people to work with, and and I know there's a lot of fear around toxicity of a liver of an animal. And let me tell you that if you're getting it from a responsible source, like a grass-fed animal, then you are in good hands and you're going to get more benefit out of it than um, additional toxic load. So, and the liver, by the way, doesn't store toxins. The liver is just the, the sieve we talked about. And if the animal was responsibly and well-raised, there was no reason why there should be we should have a toxic liver. Okay, let me ask you a question there. So what you're saying is some people don't eat liver. Well, some people don't eat liver because they're me. <laughs> then there's people that don't eat liver because while they eat meat and they enjoy meat, they think the liver is the detoxifying organ. I'm not going to eat somebody, some animal's filter. And you're saying, no, that is false. And that a healthy animal that was raised correctly and pasture fed, et cetera, et cetera, that 
their liver is a pass-through. It's not storing all of this junk that you're then going to consume. Right. In fact, it's quite healthy for you. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And so this is where, you know, if you go to my website on the recipes, there is a recipe that has converted liver haters to liver lovers. I was you just going to ask you for a recipe, yeah. Magdalena. Yeah, it's called the Easy French Pate. I, I mean, I swear it just takes 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes at the most to make. And it's, uh, it is just absolutely wonderful using sherry and sage and butter. And I really recommend to try it before you dismiss it. Because if you look at the, and I think in the article, in the recipe, they wrote about how much more of vitamins and minerals livers have as compared to, say, a chicken thigh. You know, it's just, it's quite incredible. So, so yeah, so getting vitamin B rich foods and, you know, and sure, I mean, you can do a supplement, but I feel like as a, you know, as a nutritional uh, coach, my job is to really help you with food selections rather than be popping in as supplements because most people are completely oversupplemented right. and not feeling great anyway. So, but if, yes, if you are a vegetarian, if you have some objections around liver, if you can't find good quality liver, then a good quality vitamin B complex um, as a supplement would definitely be a go, a good way to go. Another, you know, another thing I want to just mention about, because we talked about the cruciferous vegetables. So, you know, the other pathway that's super important is the sulfation pathway. And it helps actually take care of and get rid of progesterone, thyroid hormone, DHEA, melatonin, histamine, dopamine, adrenaline, and noradrenaline. And that's super important because this is the pathway that will get rid of these hormones in order to, for the body to signal the glands to produce more of the hormones that I mentioned just now. And that's really, really important because if you're not excreting these metabolized hormones, your body doesn't send the signal out for new ones, right? I think we all know that if your hormones are underproduced, then this is where we have so many different symptoms happening, right? And I think we talked a lot about it in the first call about um, some of the symptoms of just of fatigue and putting on weight and having brain fog and the list goes on. So so sulfur in, the, in that particular pathway for us to support our liver, we want to give our body um, to our liver to work with sulfur. And really, a great source of sulfur again is the cruciferous vegetables we talked about. You know, the broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, bok choy. They contain sulfur, which is awesome. And I like to use at least two to three servings a day. So whether it's in a steamed form, and people with thyroid are always scared of that. Don't be scared if you if you cook them through; they're perfectly fine. They don't have those thyroid inhibiting um, properties. And the other thing that's super high in sulfur is obviously garlic, onions, and um, cabbage. Those are the the big um, sulfur carriers. So you're saying that there's phase one and phase two of liver detoxification, but the phase two, there are six pathways in phase two. And I'll put a link in the show notes so people can go read all about the science of this. We're not going to deep dive into it, but you talked a little bit about methylation. And is it sulfitation? Am I saying that right? Sulfation. Sulfation. Those yeah. two pathways, you go into more detail about those. But the bottom line is what you're saying is your liver needs to eliminate the metabolized or the, the used up hormones to make space for new ones, which is why if you have a sluggish liver, it's almost impossible to be hormonally balanced. Did I just summarize it correctly? Exactly. Yeah, that's spot on. Okay, yeah. do I get an A plus today? Because that's what I'm going for here. Okay, I have a question. If you're just an adult who's lived on Earth for a certain number of decades, I mean, 
can you just assume that your liver could use a little detoxification, a little cleansing, or is that dumb? And you should really be looking for very specific symptoms, which is more true. You know, I think everybody will benefit from a detox and it really depends on what's your appetite of whether you want to do a fast in a fasting format or do you want to just incorporate the things that we talked about because let me tell you, even by dropping caffeine or dropping dehydrogen, hydrogenated oils and all the things we talked about, that itself is going to create a big improvement. And in incorporating the, the vegetables we talked about, you know, detoxification really is a subject of interpretation, right? Um, I do, you know, if, if somebody really is feeling super toxic, has gone through, let's say, weeks of antibiotics, then doing a fast, it's not a good idea because it might be too quick. And I would recommend to prepare your body first to detox it very gently before diving in. But, you know, having said that, I mean, I run detoxes twice, twice a year. And, with you know with groups of women we guide through the process and um and it is a fasting or semi-fasting state that we are going we're preparing our bodies beforehand to do that and that gives incredible and deep results but you know you've got to be emotionally and mentally ready for and physically ready for something like that okay i want to talk about this for a minute because the first the point that you started with is critically important it's so important that i did an entire episode on the myths of detoxing with Dr. Jillian Tita. You can click on that link in the show notes as well so that you can pull that up easily, guys. But the deal is this, the best cleanse you can do is to switch to a whole foods diet, right? Right, well, that's a great first starting point for sure. So, sure. so that that's going to help level set you beyond belief. And that is going to cut out so many of the things that accumulate over time, et cetera, et cetera. But let's just say, let's go, let's operate under the assumption that all of us could use a little tune up. And if all of us could use a little tune up, what are the options available to us? So when you say you could fast and that you do this twice a year, what are you talking about? Because people define fast Magdalena in so many different ways. Now, what do you mean? So first of all, I will say that I'm not a fan of water fast. That's just a personal opinion. And and I know a lot of detoxification experts don't like it too because you know how I talked about those compounds that are needed to marry off, right, to bind right, right. with toxins? When you're doing water fast, you're not giving your body that dandelion, that parsley, you know, the sulfur, the methyls to bind to the toxins to evacuate them. And this is the reason why some people in a water fast feel absolutely horrible. And others, but I, you know, having said that, I also do know people who felt, who did it for like 30 days and felt amazing. So it, I think it's very ind individual and it depends on how toxic you are. So, you know, the way, like for example, I do detoxes is that we do a five day preparation of the body where we start slowing down the food consumption. We eat less and less. We do obviously a super clean diet of no meat, no very minimal fats, no grains, and it's very vegetable based. We start reducing quantities. We do a lot of, it's not just a physical preparation. I, I like to work with an emotional detoxification as well, where we start cutting out toxic people from our lives. And then we enter the five-day actual detox where we give people choices of either doing smoothies um, that contain a lot of vegetables or we do, or, or there is another track that is, we call a deep detox where you can do it through juicing. And again, it's predominantly juicing vegetables. You know, typically everybody has a different way of delivering a detox. I think it's really important to go with what agrees with you. The word of caution is I don't like detoxes or any kind of liver 
um, protocols that are just bombarding people with a lot of expensive supplements, you know, and, and promising it's like you don't really have to do much more than that. And I think that is just wrong. So I believe that food can do incredible things. The only supplements, for example, that I like to work with is like antiparasitic stuff because then you're doing a parasite cleanse at the same time. We're using things like um, clay, we're using uh, psyllium husk, you know, and so those are the things that really will help to clear out the bowels and, and pull the toxins out. But those are real deep protocols. You know, my program is called Thyroid Detox and I specialize in working with women with thyroid conditions on that. But it, you know, it really, Ally, it doesn't have to be that deep. In fact, can I can I give you um, a suggestion for just something that's like a semi semi detox? Oh, we'd love that. Yeah, that you can do really on a daily basis. Um, you know, people find that when you do a really small dinner, like really light dinner, and do it as early as possible, and at least three hours before going to bed. So let me give you an ideal situation. You modify it as you, as you need, right? But ideally, if you can do dinner at six o'clock and make it really as light as a juice or a very light salad with, without too much protein, without too much fat in it, containing the vegetables we talked about just now and, you know, and, and then going to bed at 9 p.m., right? And catching the circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm means that you, you basically get your body to a point of deep sleep at one o'clock and we need three, four hours to get there. So between one and 3 a.m., this is where the liver detoxification, a deep detoxification of the liver happens. And this is really fascinating. You know, the circadian rhythm, I mean, that's a show on its own that you can make create out of this, but circadian rhythm is basically, if you think about it, it's like, you know, the plants open up with the sunrise, right? I mean, the whole planet and animals and plants live with it, right? And harmony. And as humans, we have grown away from that. But our, nevertheless, our, the way our organs operate are still attached to the circadian rhythm, whether we like it or not. Which means that if you go to bed at midnight, your liver is going to start detoxifying at one. And if you're not in deep sleep, it's always going to be impairing it. So, you know, by doing that six o'clock really light dinner or even a juice, and, and you can, you know, you can add a little bit of fiber to the juice, like ground flaxseed, which is another great detoxifier as well. Okay. That itself is going to create a kind of sense of bulk. Be in bed by nine o'clock. If you can, you know, start, if you can sleep, at 10 o'clock, really, then that gives you enough time to get to that one to three o'clock liver detoxification time in the circadian rhythm. And I guarantee you that if you do this for just a couple of days, I mean, some people start feeling the effects right away. Other people need about three to five days and you're going to feel like you were born again. Well, I can tell you that that bore out in my own personal experience because I did just a three-day juice cleanse. I called it a juice fest because I did not like the idea of fasting. And I did a three-day veggie juice cleanse. And the first day, it was amazing to just appreciate how many times I ate. I didn't realize how many times I just eat during the day kind of mindlessly. And so that was an interesting exercise on day one. And then by day two, and of course you have to go to sleep early because you're not consuming enormous amounts of energy. And so by day two, I had so much energy. It was superhuman. It was insane. I ran, I biked, and I swam on the same day. And it was just my second day of juicing. And then by day three, I just felt very glowy. And just saying this makes me want to do it again. Yeah. (laughs) But I love that you point out that sleep is so critical to that equation and that we have the power 
to really aid in our own detoxification processes just by consuming foods that we already know are brilliantly healthful for us and by letting our bodies go to sleep naturally and wake up naturally and just focus on that even if that's totally unrealistic for you nine times out of ten focusing on that for a little period maybe once a quarter or maybe twice a year that is doable yeah absolutely and you you know you you're gonna lose weight as well doing that and it's uh, that's another you know benefit a lot of people want but in like in a healthy way you know the, the whole idea of eating lightly for dinner is to offload your body from having to do digestion. The digestive tract takes up the most amount of energy. And I think brain is number two, or is it the other way around? I can't remember right now, but it's it's one of the most, the biggest tickets, right? Of- yeah, it's really resource consumptive in your body. Okay. Incredibly. And so when you shut the digestion down, that's when a lot of repairs are starting to happen at night, because this is really where the rejuvenation happens, cellular repair happens at night. So yeah, so it's, I mean, it's super great. And, you know, the only, the only problem with that kind of doing that kind of thing on a regular basis is that, you know, dinner for a lot of people, it's, it's a kind of a wrap up of a day and it's a reward system that we give ourselves, right? Like, oh, you know, well done for the day or a time to bond with loved ones, right? So it can be, it can be, um, a little hard to do that. But if you, like you said, you know, if you can carve out the time and do this, maybe allocated like once or twice a week, um, just to see how that feels. I mean, that's a great starting point and, and focus on those cruciferous vegetables, because one more thing I want to just mention, since we are talking about hormones here, that the cruciferous, apart from containing sulfur, which is great for detoxification, they also contain a substance called DIM, and that stands for dialdolomethane, and, and which is a great detoxifier for estrogen. And, you know, from our first show, we talked about estrogen dominance, um, the leading cause of breast lumps, cancers, PMS, fibroids, um, ovarian cysts, the list goes on. And, um, and believe it or not, just with having two, three servings per day, so two, three cups of cruciferous vegetables in whatever form, whether it's a salad, whether it's in a smoothie, whether it's in a soup, you know, or, or just uh, steamed with some dressing on top, it will do absolute wonders to your uh, hormonal problems. Interesting. Okay. I will list in this post, I will list some of the high sulfur foods, cruciferous veggies, et cetera, et cetera. So people can add them to their grocery list. Yeah. All right. Well, what I love about this is that you've made it very accessible instead of saying, Hey, I've got this program to sell you. I mean, you've, you've really equipped us with how to think about this on our own. And then if somebody does want additional detoxification support or really feels like a candidate, you do in fact have a service that you share with folks and they can find that on your hormones balance site. Is that right? Or where would we find your thyroid detox? Um, on thyroiddetox.com is oh, the great. website. And you know, if, if um, detoxing is not something that you really are inclined to doing, which is perfectly fine and normal, the other way of really looking at detoxification is just by changing your diet. That could be a first step. And for that, I have another program which is much more gentle and holistic way of just learning how to cook for hormonal balance, and that's called cookingforbalance.com. Cookingforbalance.com. We mentioned that on episode 55. I'll link to it again for this episode and thyroiddetox.com. And then I know we can always find you at hormonesbalance.com. You've got a lot of .coms, Magdalena. 
I know, I know. <laughs> you are a woman on the move. All right, I'll share all of that. Magdalena, we've already pumped you for your habit and your resource, so I won't ask you those two questions again. This is part two, guys, again to episode 55, and I sure hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Magdalena, thank you once again. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Bye now. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.